Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 263, and today's guest is Jenny Chen, co-founder and CEO of Newness. Through the years, many successful businesses have been born from unbundling Craigslist with standalone companies from different categories across the site. I've recently read articles about how the same could be said for Google and internet search with more of a curated web approach, which makes me wonder if the same opportunity might exist to unbundle YouTube into different streaming platforms for our targeted audience. Twitch was obviously the home run in this category as it proved that there was a large enough audience and interest to build a business around live streaming video games. But did you know that according to Jenny, that the beauty market is five times larger than the gaming industry? Well, based on this massive opportunity, Jenny has taken her experience, knowledge, and passion to build Newness, which is the live streaming platform built specifically for the beauty community. The company is venture backed by Sequoia Capital and other leading VC firms and angel investors. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like a very open discussion about imposter syndrome and advice on how to overcome it, Jenny's background story in terms of starting her career in investment banking and why she made the transition to the tech industry, her experience at Twitch right before the acquisition by Amazon and her different roles there, plus some key lessons learned from working under the Amazon umbrella, all the details on newness and how she got the business started in terms of raising capital, which she shares a very unique tip, building out the tech, identifying creators and growing an audience, her thoughts about the future of live streaming and so much more. Okay, quick side note, the VentureFizz Weekly Digest email is the must-subscribe email to keep you connected to the tech scene. You'll receive lots of information on companies, advice for your career, and other fun tidbits. Sign up by going to VentureFizz.com slash register. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Jenny. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I'm really excited to be here. Likewise, I'm excited to talk to you because um, you know, you've done so much in the way of building your career, uh, being with a company that was acquired and a very well-known tech company that I'm excited to talk to you about. And then, of course, what you're doing with your own startup, um, which when I think about the industry and how everything is pushing towards you know streaming video, it's just like what your company is doing is you know just a bullseye fit for the market and obviously a huge growth potential. But before we get into your background story and all the great things you've been up to, um, I want to talk to you about something that's very real, I think, for a lot of founders. And this was a topic that I noticed you uh, covered recently with a couple of your colleagues um, in the industry, and that's imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. it's something that I think thund- founders struggle with because it's like, it's a lot of pressure being a founder and you're supposed to lead people and you're supposed to show that you're always driving things forward and everything's climbing up the hill and we're going to tackle this mountain yet you kind of step away and you're like, okay, am I the right person for this? This is a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And you know, how do I not look at that and be fearful and instead, you know, overcome it and then embrace it. Yeah. I think of imposter syndrome as really those pesky feelings of self-doubt that um, pretty much constantly creep in despite one's accomplishments and potential. And I, I used to fight it a lot. Uh, I used to think, okay, you know what? Like, I'm just going to overcome it, or I'm just going to not ever get imposter syndrome. And I think looking back, that was not really a realistic approach or a goal to have. And I think a much healthier mindset and my new approach to it now is really just to start welcoming that feeling. Like, 
I get it all the time. Um, I've gotten it all the time throughout my career, probably at every major inflection point in my career. And that's normal. Um, and I think it's normal because it's really just meaning that like, I'm stretching myself, I'm learning, I'm growing. Um, and if I wasn't feeling that imposter syndrome, then I maybe am not pushing myself hard enough, or I might not be taking on something that's new and challenging. I might be doing something that's too much in my comfort zone and just feeling like, I obviously like the feeling of, oh my God, I got it. Like, this is so me, this is so in my wheelhouse. I could definitely do that. But at the same time, um, I look back and I think if I keep doing that, then I'm actually not growing. And then I end up finding myself bored and not necessarily happy or challenged professionally. So I often feel imposter syndrome um, in a professional setting where I'm about to hit like my biggest growth points. And I, um, I guess I felt it earlier on in my career. The first point where I felt it was when I started managing people and started managing a department for the first time. And then the people that I were managing were older than me, had more experience, had much better pedigrees. And I think that was like my first, oh my God, why am I even in this role? They could be my boss in like in any other situation. So how did I even get here? And that was the first time I felt it. And then now as a founder, I probably feel it all the time. Like every, I mean, every day at some point in time, because there's always something new happening um, and always something that is uncomfortable happening that like, I'm just forced to take on, whether it's a new department that I've is like not even remotely close to my background or um, I don't know, just like something unexpected happening, like leading in COVID or like leading through whatever is going to happen in these upcoming markets. I think that's, that is all scary. And I do feel the fear around that too. Yeah. Well, I think it's great how the mind shift has changed because years ago it would be totally out of character taboo to talk openly about those feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone was just isolated and feeling these feelings that you couldn't talk about. It was like, Oh, you're obviously not strong enough to be a founder and lead this company. Whereas mm-hmm. now it's okay to talk about because everybody's, I think very few people ever not experience it. So I think it's good yeah. that the mind shift has changed and it's healthier for mental health, which is incredibly important. Yeah, I agree. And then I guess in addition to that, I feel like talking about it actually helps because it helps other people in the organization step up. It helps other people know, oh, you're also human and you're you're feeling this too, because I'm also feeling the uncertainty in the markets or the fear around it. And I think it just creates like much more compassion and understanding for one another, but it also creates a lot of opportunities for the team to step up and help you. And in in this situation, like when I had recently opened up about some of the fears and my concerns around the markets, but also why I'm excited about it, it was, I, I was just really happy to just see how the team has stepped up in as a result of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I applaud the openness. Thank you. Well, let's talk about your background story. So let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? Yeah, um, I was born in China. I actually grew up with my grandparents. Uh, My parents left for the States about a month or so after I was born to study and to create more opportunities. So I'm really proud of them for that because they had shared with me their stories of coming over. They literally had $200 in their pockets. So naturally they couldn't bring me along as a baby. Um, 
So I grew up with my grandparents for like the first five, five and a half years in China. And as a child, I was such a tomboy growing up that you would be shocked to hear that I am now starting the business that I started. <laughs> now, so at what point did you make the, the transition to the United States? Um, I ended up moving to Canada first when I was five and a half and then to Texas when I was nine. So for most of my adult life, I grew up in Texas uh, and then really liked the coasts. So decided I wanted to move to New York, experience the big city, and then after New York, uh, California, and have really been here ever since for at least the last decade. Okay. Now you studied accounting at uh, UT Austin. So what brought you down that path of studying accounting? Yeah. Um, I studied accounting because it was the top rated program at uh, my business school for like many, many years. And I just wanted to get the most out of my education. I also quickly realized after I started accounting, oh my God, what am I doing? I am pretty awful at this and I'm really not cut out for it. And yeah, it's not it. I guess midway through, I realized this isn't really the career that I wanted. So then once you graduated, what did you, how'd you get started in your career then? Yeah. Um, so I tried to go for investment banking actually. And I think part of it was I was trying to go for investment banking right around the 09 crash. And it was really hard to get a job. I actually did not get a job then in investment banking. And I really needed that like internship to lock in your full-time role. So part of the decision to stay in accounting, because it, it was a bachelor's and master's program, was it gave me one more year and one more shot at getting it. So luckily the, the second time around, I did get it, uh, managed to get a job. It, interesting time to join finance during, during that period, but um, really amazing training ground. And I would actually do it again, but maybe for only a year looking back or like knowing what I know now, um, it just teaches an insane amount of grit. And I feel like nothing, nothing really phases you after that. So I am appreciative for, for that part of it. Yeah. The grit is definitely real in investment mm -hmm. banking. So like, I mean, just what 90 hour work week type of thing. Easily. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 At yeah. one point I think I hit like 120 and then I, I stopped counting. So I was like, so just so sad, tired, sleep deprived, angry. Like, oh, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Three gray hairs had popped up. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So as you highlighted, you did make the move to California. So you moved to, I believe, San Francisco first. So, mm -hmm. so how did you get involved in the tech industry and, and what did you start working on? Yeah, I, so because I'm originally from Texas, they naturally put the Texas girl in oil and gas investment banking. I had zero interest in oil and gas banking. And um, it's a really slow moving industry. Like literally innovation happens every 70 to a hundred years. So what really drew me to tech was how fast paced it was and how it would constantly keep me on my toes. Like literally innovation happens every single second. So even when I sleep, something new happens. So I think that's what really drew me to it. Uh, and then in particular, I had done IPOs or worked on IPOs from the banking days. And I was just really curious to see what it looked like on the other side. So there was a company, um, Quantcast. And at that point in time, they shared that they were preparing for an IPO. So I, I just wanted to see what it looked like and ended up joining. What did Quantcast do? I don't remember. Like, I remember the brand, like the company name. Mm -hmm. what, what did they do? Yeah, they were in the advertising space where they mm -hmm. would um, serve you. Yeah, have like 
machine learning and like really smart algorithms that would serve people better ads. Got it. Okay. All right. So then you moved on to Twitch and Mm -hmm. most people that listen to this podcast probably know of Twitch and uh, talk about how you landed there and what Mm -hmm. the stage of the company was at when you, when you joined. Yeah. When I, so at some point in time, I, I realized the difference when I first transitioned from banking, I didn't really know too much about tech at all. And Quantcast was my for, first foray into it. I quickly realized, oh, there's the B2C world and the B2B world. And then ever since realizing that, I kind of just wanted to get more and more into the B2C world because I really like understanding, um, I don't know, like what drives human behaviors. I think it's more intuitive, easier for me personally to understand. What brought me to Twitch was at um, some point in time, I had picked up this little game called League of Legends and it turned out to be like the number one game on Twitch. It's been there for many, many years. Um, And I was basically staying up until 5 a.m. playing that game. Uh, (laughs) And then also watching a lot of Twitch so that I could learn how to get better at the roles that I was playing and also get better at the champions that I was playing. So I was mostly using Twitch actually quite similar to how I used YouTube for the purposes of learning. And then it wasn't really until after I joined Twitch where I saw how um, incredible live streaming was at bringing people together and in in ways that I like never imagined beforehand. Uh, I ended up joining when the company was around 100 employees big. I was actually the last pre-acquisition employee. So um, joined as the first finance hire aside from the CFO, literally the day afterwards, uh, we got acquisition offers. So it became a really interesting time. You joined the company at that point in time, which there's a lot happening. There's significant growth. There's, you know, acquisition offers. So, you know, so how did you get started? Like what were you working on and, you know, how did you learn along the way? Started off in finance as the first FPNA hire, um, grew that department to about three, really primarily helped out with the post uh, acquisition and like Amazon integration afterwards. And then afterwards, you know, finance uh, at a subsidiary is to me, just less interesting than working at like finance at headquarters. So ended up starting the business operations department, which was a completely like up and coming new department and new industry in Silicon Valley at that time. There weren't too many companies that were starting BizOps teams, but the BizOps team that I started is really one that's focused on analytical horsepower and primarily comprised of ex-bankers or ex-consultants that really partner closely with executives to figure out what direction to go in next, um, whether it's what new markets we should go into, how should we go into our esports strategy, like how should we expand into esports, um, what are maybe the international territories that we should prioritize, and like how do we think about the ordering in which we prioritize them. So that was really interesting because I got to work with basically every executive at Twitch and learn a little bit from each. And that has just, that has just been like an incredible experience. Cause not only do I get to learn a little bit more about each of their management styles, but I also get to a little more purview into each department, which I think has helped me tremendously as a founder now, cause now I kind of end up touching all of the various departments anyways. Um, yeah, and that's such, that's such powerful experience because you got to see the lens of across the whole Mm-hmm. every cross-functional department. And I totally agree that that just sets someone up to be a great founder. Yeah, exactly. That, um, and then 
touching up on earlier, that was also when I had my major imposter syndrome. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think I can't remember the age I was. I think I was like 26 or something. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing running a department? Like I've never even managed people before. I can't believe someone took a chance on me and gave me a whole entire department. And then on the flip side, because of that thought, I also had this feeling of someone really took a bet on me. I cannot fail them. Like what an incredible opportunity. I absolutely can't squander it. I'm going to work my ass off for this person and like prove that they bet on the right person. So uh, it was a little bit of like that dynamic that I was playing with the the first time I, I ran a department. Yeah. So Twitch was acquired by Amazon, which is amazing. So, so what did you learn working for such a dynamic company that being, you know, Amazon? Yeah. The, the two companies had incredibly different styles. Uh, what I learned about Twitch and like the Twitch leadership style is I thought Twitch did a really great job leading with their heart and being a community driven platform. And then with Amazon, it's incredibly rigorous, very data-driven, super analytical um, in all of their decision-making. And I think the balance of the two was just a really interesting thing that I wanted to pull away when thinking about newness. So um, one of the things that Amazon, as I'm sure you've heard, is very well known for is their famous six-pagers. And during the time when I was at Amazon, some of the six-pagers often became like really, really long, maybe 40-pagers. But I've really learned to appreciate um, the clarity and thought that comes with writing a six pager. And now I even find myself most likely not writing six pages, but still writing my thoughts down because I love that process in terms of like structuring how I think about things. Um, The other thing that I'm super, super grateful and just think profoundly like changed how I look at leadership and like one of the things that I tried to emulate is I was fortunate enough to just be on a fly on a wall um, when Andy Jassy was running some of the meetings and through just observing how he ran those leadership meetings. One of the things that I noticed is that he would always go around and ask the other leaders uh, for their opinions and for their thoughts first. And then at the very end, he would go and say his decision or like his opinion last. And I think I definitely like noticed that in the meeting. I thought it was, it created a really special dynamic where culturally people just felt more comfortable speaking their mind or maybe felt more appreciated because you're calling on them and you're inviting them to share your thoughts before, you know, the, like the CEO the CEO title, I think just like changes the dynamic a little bit. And it's, um, so that's why I think trying to like share your thoughts last as a leader is a really great way to actually invite genuine discourse. And I've, that's been like one of the most profound things that I've learned through my experiences there. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great leadership trait to uh, welcome other people into the conversation and mm-hmm. look for their input to hopefully make the right decision. It's not just one person's mm-hmm. decision. Exactly. All right, let's talk about Newness, the company that you're building. So what led you down the path of starting a company? Yeah, um, well, candidly, I didn't actually want to be a founder. It's just because this idea kept popping up in my head again and again and again. I just couldn't let it go that that was finally what put me over the edge of, okay, I think I have to do this. Um, The reason why I ended up feeling that compelling like pull, as you could probably tell from 
some of the things that I'd shared earlier, I absolutely love video games and I really, really love beauty as well. Um, growing up, I unfortunately didn't get to spend a lot of time playing video games or beauty because I had really strict parents. However, I love both of it. And of course, the first thing I did when I got to college and got my first internship was I bought my own PS2, I bought an Xbox, and I bought my first Urban Decay Naked Eyeshadow Palette, which is um, one of the classic like eyeshadow palettes that just kicked off probably a whole set of eyeshadow palettes afterwards, and I've collected too many now. Um, but those memories were really some of my best memories in college. So I, when, you know, you know, I shared that when I first joined Twitch, I was very skeptical about um, how much video games someone could watch. I had primarily watched Twitch to learn, but it was really not until joining and being fully immersed in the community that I realized, no, you could actually watch video games and it's just as fun as playing the video games itself. Sometimes even more fun because it's less stressful. You could kick back, you could relax. Um, and then you could really have this hanging out vibe type conversation with your friends so that it feels like you're in the same room with them. So this reminded me a lot of, you know, being back in college, wanting to play Xbox, wanting to play PS2, there's not enough controllers. There's usually only two controllers or maybe four controllers. Okay, no problem. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to grab a slice of pizza. I'm going to like hang out behind the couch and watch you play video games. And it's still this really fun experience, even though I'm not physically playing the game myself. So similarly um, with that eyeshadow palette, then I, since I went to school in UT Austin, it's we basically went out to Sixth Street like every single night. So we'd always grab our makeup bags. We would find one mirror that we obviously can't all fit in front of, but we're going to try to squeeze anyways. We'd line up our makeup bags. And of course, we'd open them and start getting ready to go out to Sixth Street. And I am most certainly that nosy friend that's going to look over and see, hey, do you have like, what is that new eyeshadow palette that you have there? Or, oh my God, is that the new like Dior Rouge lipstick or the Dior eye, like, you know, iconic mascara? And is it really that iconic? Should I eat ramen for a whole week straight just to buy this mascara? Is it actually really worth it? And then other chit chat as well of like, oh, I should really not be going out. I should be studying for my accounting test. Or um, do you think the you know, the cute boy from class is going to notice me. So all of those conversations of chit-chatting, getting ready together, those are actually the same like hanging out experiences that we're re really creating at Newness today. So Newness is a new kind of social live streaming platform that really provides a safe and inclusive place for anyone that is um, a beauty lover, regardless of whether you're completely new to beauty or you are super experienced and you're considered professional level. Our mission is to provide the beauty community with an inviting space for conversation, self-expression, empowerment. So how did you get the company started? Because you did raise a seed round of funding from Sequoia, as well as some other just amazing, amazing angel investors. So how'd you go about getting it started and raising that initial seed round? Thank you. Yeah, I feel really fortunate with um, the investors that we have and the angels that we have. It's been really absolutely incredible working with them. Um, one of the ways that I started in terms of fundraising is... Um, I actually started off by 
asking people in my network if they would fund my company. And I think one of the reasons why, um, I, I actually don't know if this is true, but I'm assuming this is true of like why I'd seen success in fundraising is because I had basically like every single manager that I had ever worked with at um, every single company, or I had a colleague from every single company had at some point in time decided to put in money in my company during the friends and family round. So because of that, I think what it provided was a signal of there's people that know Jenny because they worked really closely with her. And as a result, then um, ended up helping like signal to investors that this person is someone that is worth considering betting on. So I guess if there's any other founders out there, this is definitely um, like a fundraising tactic that I strongly recommend. Yeah. So you went out and then people that know you and know what you're capable of and believe in you, they were willing to write checks. Therefore that mm -hmm. created that, you know, cycle of other people being like, okay, let me participate as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's effectively like someone that has worked closely with you is strongly vouching for you because they're putting their own money there too. All right. Now, how about building the platform, right? So there's a lot that goes into building this type of business. You know, there's the tech, you got to get creators and then you need to grow an audience. So how did you go about mm -hmm. building all that? <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of the fun part where it's, it's really challenging to get all of those parts aligned and, Right now, we're still in the process of like building out the tech because all the other companies are also innovating, um, finding content creators and like really getting deep on um, understanding creator motivations on what it is that motivates us. So obviously extracting a lot of learnings from the Twitch days, but also being content creators ourselves and like trying to put ourselves in that mindset. Um and being huge beauty enthusiasts. Um, so participating in beauty communities so that we really understand what specifically the beauty content creator wants and what the beauty, like, and like um, what specific sub-community the, the beauty, beauty creator is in as well. Cause I think that also impacts um, who we end up inviting. And then the growing the audience part, the, Flywheel that we've seen work out really well at Twitch and at content platforms is content creators would share um, that they're going live on other platforms, which would then in turn bring their most loyal community and audience over. They, the most loyal community and audience is actually excited to come over because they have an opportunity to have these real-time conversations and get to know their favorite creator more or support their favorite creator, which in turn then gets more content creators. So it creates that flywheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the hard part is really picking the initial creators and then setting up the initial community because one of the things that I think um, makes a really big difference on a platform is just, uh, I guess we're, we're lucky enough now to see what happens to social platforms as they like continue scaling and playing out over, over the years. So what happens if there is a platform that was built really intentionally ever since the beginning and it's not a grow at all costs model, or it's not a like, like toxicity in any way is not allowed. Like what if we really have that safer environment? What might 
that look like um, once the platform scales and like once the community can self moderate? Because I think of that very similar to building cultures um, within a company. Like if you hire too many employees, the culture is actually really hard to to mold because it's going to kind of like take on a life of its own. And then soon it's just going to be like out of your hands to do much about the culture. You can maybe influence it or tweak it, but the culture is going to be set. Similarly with the initial wave of community members here, they're actually the ones setting the newness culture right now and how they interact with each other, whether they, um, how much they uplift each other or empower one another. I think that really sets the tone for how the community wants to show up. And it also establishes the baseline community norms that then really play out once like scale happens on many different levels. Now, how are you going about the, the business model? Because I did notice there was, you know, brand partnerships where, um, you know, someone could release their product line on newness first, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So how are you thinking about the business side? Yeah. I mean, long-term, what I'd love is for newness to just be the world's most inclusive celebration of all things beauty, like the destination that you go to for literally anything in beauty, um, including the newness in beauty, which would include brand launches, product launches, all of that news as well. Um, The primary business model that we're going after right now is really focused on the community and supporting the creator. The creator is the, is like the heart of the community because they're the ones that invite their closest friends, their closest community members. um, And they're the ones that stream to have that really authentic conversation and interaction. So business models that best support the creator in terms of viewers um, and their willingness to open up their wallets to like support their creators or um, I actually, I would say that's probably like the primary business model. So similar to Twitch in that you would support your favorite gamer through subscriptions or bits. uh, I think ours is going to be slightly different. Um, I can't share too much detail yet because that's like coming up and being released, but variations of that where basically a loyal fan, a loyal community member is um, wanting to support their favorite content creator. And I think that's one shift in the creator economy that we're seeing that behavior be more and more accepted as well. The logical question that I'm sure you got from investors or others is like, so so how do you compete against the major platforms that already exist, the YouTubes, the TikToks, you know, so how, how do you go about competing and building an audience when you know, those platforms are already so large? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is really just the focus on beauty. I think um, when you think about, for example, Twitch, and you look at that, uh, the video game space is really huge. And you probably wouldn't have thought there is a place for Twitch and YouTube, which was the incumbent at that time to exist, or Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, like all of them to exist, but they all coexist together because they serve very different needs. But I think it's primarily because Twitch is dedicated to the gamers. Like it is the perfect place for the gamers to hang out. Similarly, newness is really going to be dedicated for the beauty community. So if you want to find people that like match your enthusiasm for beauty, that's going to like geek out over I don't know, finding like a Holy Grail foundation or understand, like want to chit chat with you about the latest ingredients or azelaic acid on skin. Uh, I think those, this is where you go to find 
that same enthusiasm and that same level of passion because it's the home for it. Yeah. It's a massive market. I mean, I just, as a father of two teenage girls, it's, I mean, I see it through the lens of their eyes and this is, you know, a, a direct fit for what they care about or one of the things that they care about. It's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. So Yeah, I totally agree. It's a humongous market. And I think what people don't understand is, or don't think about is a lot of times people often think, wow, gaming is really big, but beauty is actually five times bigger as a market and literally just as passionate. So if I look at like YouTube consumption, for instance, the number one most viewed category for um, men on YouTube is gaming. I think it's like 52%. And then the number one most viewed category for women on YouTube um, per their demographics is like by like 62% or something is beauty. So it's really interesting to see like how much parallels there actually is between the passion and like love for beauty and gaming um, and how it really creates these like communities as a result of that. One of the things that I noticed about you is you're a scout for Sequoia. So what does that role entail and how did, how does that, like, how do you get selected to be a scout? I think this one is they, based on my understanding, they um, invite some of their portfolio founders to become scouts. So I think just because I was um, a portfolio company now, uh, as a result of that, I was lucky enough to uh, get in as a scout and be able to like learn from other incredible investors on how they structure memos and like what they look for in a scout investment. So it's, it's been a really fun and like really eye opening experience to kind of see what goes on behind the scenes or what goes on inside an investment memo from like the VC side. I know it's probably just the tip of the iceberg, but really eye opening to just kind of see like what they look at when evaluating companies. Now you've talked about some of the challenges of running a startup um, and, you know, different, you know, key milestones throughout your career. But when you think about running a company, like what, what, what has been some of those biggest challenges that you've experienced outside of what we've already talked about? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest challenge is managing your personal psyche and managing, managing your personal psyche and managing burnout. Um, I want to talk about the burnout part specifically, cause there's, uh, there's something that I like only recently learned or once I started, um, the startup, I started getting this new type of coaching and I learned about this thing called zone of genius. And it's just been such an eye-opening and like helpful tool for me in terms of how to manage burnout. Um, so historically I've always looked at, there's the things like, there's a spectrum of responsibilities that I have to do. And there's things that I am going to roll up my sleeves and figure it out. And I'm probably just going to be average at it or just as good as anyone else. And then on that other spectrum, there's going to be things that I am like, it just comes to me like second nature. It's natural, it's intuitive. And I'm really exceptional at those things. And then of that, there are things that give me energy and things that drain my energy. And part of managing burnout and a common mistake that I've made in my past career is just because I was really, really good at something. And because I kept getting promoted in something, I thought, wow, I'm really good at this. Only later to realize when I looked hard at the mirror, I actually don't like doing this thing. So like finance and accounting is kind of one of those things where I 
had a really great career in it, but it doesn't make my heart sing in the same way as, I don't know, like I actually like recruiting or talking to people, um, talking to creators, uh, business development. Like there are like new things that I only recently gotten exposure to. And I totally understand, like you don't typically stick a finance person in business development, but because of that, like new exposure, it's made me realize the things that I do love and um, how my energy changes as a result of that. So I think the hardest is as a founder, the company is your baby. And whenever there is something wrong, you just want to take it on and do it. And it's really hard to say no when you notice that it's draining your energy or just managing it of knowing that I can only take on so many things that's going to drain my energy. And then I'm going to be at risk of burnout. So like finding that balance is, um, is truly an ongoing struggle. Yeah. Oh, it is a challenge to recognize. And then it's like, also like, I find it challenging because there's things that you're like, it needs to get done. I'll just get it done. Yet. It's not really strategic and useful for you to spend time on those things. And you got to get out of that cycle and exactly. Yeah. Find other ways to get that thing that needs to get done, done yet, not have it suck up your time, which um, is something that I struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that, um, definitely still a work in progress is just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and knowing that it's not going to get done and being okay with that. And it already feels so uncomfortable (laughs) saying, but like totally knowing that it's the thing that needs to, needs to happen. Yeah, totally. I agree a thousand percent. So live streaming is, uh, very current. There's a lot going on in the industry. So what do you envision the future looking like for the future of live streaming? I think live streaming is the future of how we communicate. And I think it's fundamental to like reinventing uh, or like the next wave of social because the original intent of social is to really connect people. And I think that is the thing that live streaming does so well. So there's now from my, my vantage point, right? Like so many beauty launches happening every single day. So many brands being launched, literally every celebrity like now also has a skincare line or a makeup line. There's so many brands being launched, so many products on a daily basis. Um, even for a beauty enthusiast, it can feel overwhelming. And then on top of that, there's the influencer space that has really taken off. So I think I read some stats some the other day that like 86% of young Americans want to be influencers or want to try to be influencers. That's like almost everyone. And so there's going to be a whole lot more influencers as well. And I think consumers are getting increasingly smarter and smarter about all the PRs and like the ads and how that model works. So as a result, there's going to be Or if not, there is already a lot of consumer distrust kind of like bubbling up. And I think live streaming is kind of, is is the future because it's raw, it's authentic, it's conversational. So you can actually ask questions and see, did they actually use the product? You could ask them clarification stuff to show you how to do the technique again, or you could just see like how enthusiastic they are about it when they talk about it so that you could pick up social cues that you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up through just a static photo or a highly edited pre-recorded story clip or any anything along those lines. So I think when it comes to like the purest forms of human connection and just 
being able to, yeah, I guess like watch a stream and feel like you've made a friend and social that's built for connection instead of addiction. I think there is a craving for that. And I think live streaming is best positioned for that. All right. So what's a good podcast book recommendation? The book that has been the most profoundly life-changing for me is the 15 commitments to conscious leadership. It's by Diana Chapman and Jim Detmer. Um, it's, I participate, like I've read the book, but I also participate in the coaching forums. And that's actually a lot of how I learned more about managing my energy, managing my own psyche, my burnout levels. Like, I think it's just been profoundly helpful in terms of shaping me, uh, as a better human so that I could show up as a better wife for my husband, um, who is also a founder. And, um, also just in terms of like being a better leader and just increasing my overall self-awareness. So I, I think that's probably single-handedly my favorite book of all time. All right. So outside of work, what do you like to do? I've gotten really into plants during the pandemic. So I collect plants, propagate plants. I'm usually puttering around in the balcony garden and um, yeah, growing plants most of the day. I think that's, that's been like a, yeah, a pandemic habit that has really popped up recently for me. I've, uh, I think I, I think I've heard a few people with the same type of interest that just, you know, over the pandemic, it just, I think it just, because it was such a unique time in our history where it kind of, you slowed down for a bit because you kind of had to, Mm -hmm. and it just opened your eyes to other things that make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. And because we're stuck at home so much, the greenery just really helps transport you into a different space or it helps. It just, it feels like there's this like calming sense about it. And I think, um, given the intensity of like all the other things I have going on in my life, the, the calmness that comes with all of the greenery is very appreciated. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story, all the great things happening at Newness, and obviously all the great advice. Thank you so much, Keith. I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.